everyone. It is absolutely a joy to be with you this morning on this nice, bright, sunshiny day here in our beautiful state of Maine. And uh, we are in the book of Ephesians. We're in the fourth chapter, um, beginning at verse 17. We're going to make an attempt to work our way through the chapter. I don't know that that will actually... Uh, uh, Happen, but we're gonna we're we're gonna give it an effort this morning. Um, see if we cannot finish out yet one more chapter. Although there is no hurry, uh, none at all. The, the The biggest hurry that we need to make is the hurry of applying all this to our lives, that we could live our lives in a way that uh, is pleasing to the Lord, uh, and so that we would be able to honor and to glorify Him. Uh, 
it's the weekend. Uh, busy weekend here. We've got uh, a big funeral tomorrow. Our One of the pillars of our church, uh, Gary Sheldon, went home to be with the Lord two weeks ago uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll be having his uh, celebration of life here tomorrow. So you can pray for how that goes, uh, anticipating a, a pretty sizable crowd, and uh, just trying to make sure that we are ready for that. Uh, and all the ministry to the to the Sheldon and Whitcomb families and those that are a part of that extended family, Littlefields, uh, and others. So uh, just pray, if you would, that we would have a, a great time of um, honoring a man who honored the Lord, and uh, some of his last words to me were the quotation of Scripture and then hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You'll probably hear more about that, I'm sure, tomorrow, but Oh, that our lives would be that type of a life that when we come down to the end of the wire, that that we would be whispering, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God uh, in our lives, that, that we would be that uh, in tune and, and that near to Jesus and our faith would be that strong and that robust. Uh, new life. New life is the word we're talking about, uh, celebrating a life, but uh, today in this uh, passage, we're talking about the new life that you and I are called to live. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul said, I urge you, therefore, in view of the mercies of God. No, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up two, uh, two passages there. Uh, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I was mixing up uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, but as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy uh, of the calling that you have received. And then when we get down to verse 17, Paul goes on and further delineates this living out the new life that we are called to live. So he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, the the term Gentiles might not mean so much to us. In, in Paul's day, in, in, in that part of the world, uh, to be referencing the Gentiles was to be talking about those people who uh, were non-Jewish, uh, didn't follow the customs and the teachings of the law. But in our day, to, to realize that... Uh, Anybody, the, the futile thinking of anybody, uh, you must no longer live in the futility of your thinking. You, you, could, you could perhaps take out live as the Gentiles do, and we could perhaps state it this way. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live in the futility of worldly thinking. There you go. That, that, that is a way of, of making application today. Worldly thinking is the thinking that says, well, God's not there. Worldly thinking is the thinking that says Christ is not returning. Worldly thinking is the thinking that says all that matters is the flesh and my enjoyment and my fulfillment, uh, let alone any regard for anyone else. So, I, I tell you, insist on the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Do not live in the way of the world in the futility of the thinking. The, the, the way of the world is a way where the, the pop psychology of the day might make you feel better but might not help you correct relationships. The pop psychology uh, of the day 
might tell you you have to look out for number one, who is you, and that's the pop psychology of the day. But the Lord would say, put others first. The Lord would say, put Christ first. Put others ahead of yourself. Jesus, others, yourself, joy, uh, live life in that way. So what is the futility of worldly thinking? That is something that you could ponder all day long. I could probably spend uh, the the entirety, the bulk of the morning talking about futile thinking. Uh, and f- the futility of thought has only uh, exploded Uh, in the last half of the uh, 20th century and here in the beginning of the nearly the first quarter of the 21st century because we think that science knows best, but we no longer even know what science is in in many ways in in the sense that we have so castigated it to mean something different than than, uh, uh, the application of observation and conclusion. We've made it, uh, I have a conclusion, and so I'm going to study the effects of whatever I need to to substantiate my conclusion. That is the futility of thinking. The futility of of, of thinking um, that life is going to be easy. The futility of thinking uh, that that there's this American dream. You know, the American dream isn't good for most of the world because most of the world is in America. And then even for those in America, the the American dream falls far short. And so we'll say, go after the American dream. Can I say, go after living as a follower of Christ? That's the most important thing, that we would follow him, that we would follow his teachings, that we would be caught up in his glory and his fame. That would be how we would be living. So let me continue on in this verse. It says, I tell you this, insist on in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Again, does this not sound like the modern world? Does this not sound like... Uh, so much of the people around us, so many of the people around us, separated from the life of God, ignorance. Now we're not we're not saying that these are ignorant people, although I guess you could conclude that if you're using the word, you could say you're calling them ignorant. Uh, but sometimes the hardening of the heart makes us ignorant to God's truth. They were separated from the life of God because they hardened their hearts to God. How much of American culture? Uh, how much of global culture, in fact, is hardening its heart or has hardened its heart against God? I mean, there, there's so much of culture out there that has done that very thing. Uh, it can be in China. It can be in Russia. It can be in uh, Great Britain. It can be in Japan. It can be uh, in South America. It can be in North America. Anywhere where people harden their hearts to God, they're darkened in their understanding. Now, they want to tell us, well, we're darkened in our understanding. We're living in the dark ages. We're living in the past. No, we're living in the midst of God's eternal truth, and we need to continue to live in that truth and live on that truth and make sure that we are not hardening our hearts to God also. The passage continues on and says this, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. 
with a continual lust for more. This this is the uh, this is the definition of unbridled hedonism. Hedonism is is the search for pleasure. So when it says having lost all sensitivity, it is the idea right there in verse 19, it's, it's this idea of any sensitivity to the things of God, any sensitivity to moral truth, to the moral compass. I've been watching videos of people uh, in light of uh, what happened a few weeks ago, what, three weeks ago now with the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade uh, and some of the interviews that, that are being conducted with people and and then even some of the other uh big issues of the day, like define for me what a woman is. Well, this person said the only person you can ask what a woman is, uh, is a woman. So the question then followed. So can you tell me what a cat is? Yeah. A cat is a little small furry creature that sits on your laps and purrs. And, and, and then the, the person conducting the interview said, you just define what a cat is, but you cannot define what a woman is. Uh, People are darkened in their understanding in 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 modern era. Uh, we've lost all sensitivity to to being convicted in heart by the Spirit of God, by the teaching of the Word of God. Uh, we've lost sensitivity, and it says they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, let me say this: sensuality uh, can be a a beautiful thing in the bedroom between a husband or wife. That, that's the place for sensuality. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that, that I think that the Bible teaches that, that sensuality, sexuality is a bad thing. No, no, I, I think it's a good thing uh, in the right context, in the godly context. God has given us this beautiful, wonderful gift that we're to enjoy, but what we have done, again, and this isn't just they saw this in Paul's day. They saw this in Moses' day. They saw this in the days of Noah, uh, how people would give themselves over to sensuality so that they could indulge in every kind of impurity. This is nothing new. It's nothing new under the sun. And the continual lust for more, we see even more of that. Here's what Paul's saying. He's not condemning the world necessarily. He's not judging the world what he is doing is challenging Christians. We are to no longer live in that kind of a way because he says in verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we live? Do we live as the world lives? Do we live uh, with unbridled hedonism uh, or do we live putting on Christ? Do we put, do we live hardening, hardening our hearts to the things of God or do we live with hungry hearts for the for the truth of God? We can harden our hearts or we can have hungry hearts. Let's have hungry hearts for more of God, for more of Jesus, for more of his truth, for more application of, of what he has for us in our own lives. Verse 20 said, you did not come to learn of Christ in, in that way of a continual lust for more. Surely you heard of him or taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught 
with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires or its deceitful desires. We'll go back and look at some other paraphrases and translations here in a minute, in a minute but just want to talk uh, about living life as we used to live life. Uh, the things I used to do, I, I should no longer do. Uh, if I was a drunk, I should no longer be a drunk. Uh, if if I had the language of a sailor, I should no longer have the language of a sailor. Uh, if my eyes were filled with the covetousness and envy and lust, I should have eyes that are no longer filled with covetousness, envy, and lust. I should have eyes filled with the light of Christ. I should have eyes filled with, with the truth of God. I should have eyes filled with, with, with that desire after God. Uh, was I, had I given myself over to all kinds of sexual impurity? I had before I was a Christian, and I should no longer do that. What about you? What was your former way of life? B.C. before Christ. In fact, you, you would see B.C.E. before the Christian era. B.C.E. How about this? Before Christ entered in. What, what was your life like before? Well, we should be changed. If, if you say you've trusted in Christ and you had some of these things in your life and your life isn't changing, if it hasn't changed, if it isn't evolving in, in, a, in a godly sense and in a maturing type of sense, then maybe you go back and ask yourself, am I really in Christ? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. He said this, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Let's just talk about the attitude of the minds here for just a minute. How much does attitude have an impact? Back in uh, Romans chapter 12, we're told to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How is our mind renewed? Our mind is renewed by engaging with God's word. Our mind is renewed by engaging with God's truth through Christian song. Uh, how, how, is our, uh, how is our mind changed? How are we transformed by the renewing of our mind? By Christian dialogue and Christian conversation. How is our mind renewed? How is our mind transformed? Our mind is transformed through prayer. All of these things have an impact on us. We're to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Now, I, I, I want to say this. To be made new in the attitude of our minds, uh, how much does, does attitude impact you? Now, one person saying uh, very much impacted. Uh, sometimes, I was just talking with Jacob about this yesterday, uh, my associate talking about uh, how uh, we sh can shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh you know, we have the chance for something new, and instead of taking the steps, we run back into the ways of the old. Uh, we, we cannot, we cannot uh, allow ourselves to, uh, to picture change. Change is hard. Change is scary. And so oftentimes what we'll end up doing is continue living in the old way because it's a known way when Change means something new, something scary, something that we're not with which we're not familiar, and uh, but to be renewed 
be made new in the attitude of your minds. Today, to say, I'm going to have a new attitude. I'm going to have an attitude based on God's truth about me. I'm going to have an attitude based on God's love for me. I'm going to have an attitude based on the fact that I believe that God wants to work in my life, even through difficult circumstances. I believe that I'm going to have an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to have an attitude of faith and belief in God. Uh, and I choose that today. I mean, we can choose the attitude. Uh, you ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? I have. Uh, I get up and just you're all kind of grumpy in the morning. And I, I'm probably coming due for that. There's been many nights of not a lot of sleep uh, with with a, a small herd of puppies in our household and needing to make sure that they're okay and mama is okay. Um, and so I know being tired, I'm right on the edge of, of having a bad attitude. Now, I don't feel today like I have a bad attitude, but sometimes we just wake up, we didn't sleep well, or we've had things on our minds. Wendy and I have had some big, big conversations, some big decisions uh, that we've been weighing out. And, you know, the attitude, you know, we, we've, we found ourselves at times a little bit more short with each other. Um, just because of some of the pressures and weights of some of these things. But we have to choose. We're not going to be that way. And, and we'll correct it and say, I'm sorry, and, and correct course and, and, and make sure that we're not being short with each other when, when we don't need to be. But to choose today, it says this, verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds. Not just, not just pop psychology, but, but Christian truth. That, he, that God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. You go back to some of the great Christian truths like we read in Romans chapter 8. Let me take you there because some of you might need to hear some of these words this morning down here. What shall we say in response to, to all of this? What shall we say in response to all that's happening in our lives? If God is for us, who can be against us? Say that to yourself right now. If God is for me, who can be against me? Now, we're praying about some large decisions. And if God closes doors, we we rejoice in that. And if God will open doors, we'll rejoice in that. If God is for us, who can be against us? God will work out his way. Will we trust him to work in his way? And then it goes on and says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen in fact let me add to that a little bit because it, it is found elsewhere in scripture who will bring any charge against those whom God has forgiven sometimes we'll continue to bring charges against ourselves when God himself has forgiven us and we need to let go of those things and accept the forgiveness of God and forgive ourselves and move on with our lives because it is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. In fact, let me put it this way. He is interceding for you right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, and we're considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a passage, Romans chapter 8, to hold on. God is for you. Now, God isn't necessarily for your ways, but God is for you and that he's going to look out for you. God is for you and that he's going to enable you to be more than a conqueror. God is for you and that, that he is ever interceding for you. God is for you and that nothing can separate you from his love. His love is there all the time for you. To live that out, to be renewed in the attitude of the mind is what we were reading back in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and Romans chapter 12, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and following gives great insight into what that attitude can be like. So it said in verse 23, Romans, uh, not Romans, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, this this idea, this concept of putting off and putting on is, is really the imagery of getting clothed. Uh, it would be like a, a worker uh, working in an oil field. I mean, this is kind of the picture that is here, somebody that's all dirty and sweaty and oily and so much so that their clothes just stick to them. The idea to put off, peel off that old clothing or like an oil worker who's gotten caught up in uh, is the oil has come bursting up out of the ground uh, and is completely covered in oil uh, and clothes saturated with oil. Peel off that old self, peel off that dirty old self, put off your old self which is being corrupted by its evil desires, put on the new self created to be like God. God is, is, is making us new. We're not doing this in and of ourselves. God is doing his work in us to make us a new creation. In fact, let me take you another passage. Philippians chapter 1 uh, says this in verse 6. It says, being confident of this. I know this is the middle of a, a, a sentence. I guess I'll go back to verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This verse, verse 6, he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He is going to keep working on you. And some of you would know that old song, he's still working on me to make me what he wants to be. And I don't remember the rest of the words, but just that little bit, that, that was a theme song to uh, some old radio program. I don't remember what that program was. Let me show you another verse over in Philippians chapter 2, and it is in 
verses 12 and 13 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Work it out. Live it out with fear and trembling. In other words, take your salvation seriously. And then he goes on in verse, so our part is to work it out, to take our salvation, to take our Christianity seriously, to take living as disciples seriously. And then in verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. God is at work in you to make you the very person that he wants you to be. God's working in you, changing you. And we have to work in concert. We have to work in connection with God by taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Choosing today, I will live in Christ. That's what we're doing. Verse 24, choosing to live in Christ. Verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Verse 15 told us to learn how to speak the truth in love. This verse says that we must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbors for all members of one body. Uh, If you did not listen to yesterday's broadcast, the earlier verses, we talked about how as people we really often don't do a very good job of this. Uh, We we often um, fall short. Uh, and what happens to us so often times is, uh, you know, we, we're confronted by somebody and our first response is one of defenses, projection, denial, blame shifting, all these different things, uh, passive aggressivism, uh, sulking, so on. I talked about all those things yesterday. We need to learn how to take a hit. We We need to learn how to have somebody come to us and speak into our lives to challenge us, to confront us, to convict us, to to push us in the direction that we need to go, and we need to be able to receive that. So two things I think we need to learn how to do. One is we need to learn how to put off falsehood and speak truthfully. We need to learn how to address each other about things in life. And then also we need to learn how to accept those things, how to receive those things, uh, how to allow those things to to change us in our lives. So put off falsehood, speak truthfully to our neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, before I go further, I'm going to push the microphone away. I want to encourage you if you've got uh, if you've got your cup of coffee there, grab your cup of coffee and let's just have a little sip together. My my voice is saying, drink some coffee, man. So drink some coffee, person. Now, if you did like I did and you took a sip of your coffee or your tea or your morning beverage, whatever it might be, that was not a waste of 10 seconds. Mm -mm. That that helped the throat. That helped give a little bit of a buzz. Maybe not really, but felt good, at least psychologically. Drank some coffee, a little bit more awake now. Um, Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to our neighbors, for we are members. To remember, friends, 
all of us that are listening right now, uh, and if you're listening in the background and haven't said good morning in the comments, I would encourage you to say good morning, to have the sense of uh, connection with the people that are here, sense of community uh, with people that are here. Walter Huss listening in over on the uh, YouTube side this morning. You might be, you might listen into this later, and uh, if you're listening in later, still welcome you to leave a comment. Uh, love to love to see comments. Um, but we are all members of one body. Those workers at Camp Pinnacle, where Walter Huss is serving this week, uh, our brothers and sisters in Kenya, our brothers and sisters in the Philippines, our brothers and sisters in Guatemala, our brothers and sisters in Colombia, our brothers and sisters in uh, Canada, our brothers and sisters in Japan, our brothers and sisters in Romania, the list goes on. We are all members of one body. So there is both global reality of that. Globally, all of us belong to each other. And then there is a local reality, a local living out of that to remember that that we are all members of one body. And when one part hurts, the whole part hurts. You drop something on your toe, a couple things are going to be engaged. Your mouth is going to engage. Your foot is going to engage. Your knee is going to engage. Your hands are probably going to engage. Maybe you grab your foot. Maybe you dance around the house or something like that. The body is all engaged. And we need to remember that we are all members of one body and to find uh, meaningfulness in that reality. Verse 26 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down where you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. This does not say don't get angry. It doesn't say that at all. Uh, if you get what it is saying is just uh, two, two approaches at this. In your anger, do not sin. Be righteously anger. Be be angry over right things, and that is good to be angry, but don't sin in that anger. Don't sin by throwing a hammer. Don't sin by letting a, a, bunch, of, a, a bunch of rhetoric flow off your tongue that is unbecoming. Uh, don't sin by name-calling. Don't sin by, there's all kinds of things. If you get angry, don't sin. I can get angry about something and choose. I'm going to walk away. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to say something I would regret later on. So in your anger, do not sin. If you get angry, don't sin. Let's deal with three things here. One is uh, be angry about things. Don't sin. Number two uh, get get angry about right things. It's okay to possess and maintain a sense of uh, righteous indignation over certain things. Uh, and th- but then thirdly, if if in your anger you do sin, or if in the anger there is some hostility between you and another person, let's say your spouse, verse twenty six is is so apropos. Because it tells us, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with it by the end of the day. Don't go to bed angry might be another way that you might uh, interpret this. 
deal with the anger, deal with the conflict, deal with the problem by the end of the day. And then verse 27, there's interesting insight that comes out of verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. I'm going to stop at verse 27 today uh, because there's so much more and to cover in these other verses. I'm going to stop at verse 27. Do not give the devil a foothold. What I, what I want to talk about here is that the devil can can get a foothold. The, the, the devil can get a stronghold in our lives if we let him. And what Paul is intimating in verse 26 is that we can give the devil a foothold in anger. Now, there's a lot of discussion, or has been, maybe not among you, but uh, in, in theological circles and ecclesiastical circles, you know, can a Christian be possessed by demons would be a, be the question. Uh, most are going to, well, a good number, I'll put it that way, are going to say no. It's impossible to be possessed both by the Holy Spirit and by demons. If the Holy Spirit is truly in you, demons cannot also possess you. However, uh, demonization to be inflicted by demons, yes. I, I think that demons, I think that devils can get footholds, strongholds in areas of our lives, and there's this great battle that takes place between the spirit, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, and you can throw the world in that, this kind of four-way, the world trying to woo us into its ways, our flesh going, oh, yes, I want that. The devil going, uh-huh, go ahead. And the Holy Spirit going, now, wait a minute. I mean, that's kind of what that looks like. Um, and there are so many ways that I think we can give the devil a foothold. We can give the, the devil a foothold sexually. We can give the devil a foothold verbally. We can give the devil a foothold through our entertainment. We can give the devil a foothold by... Uh, by treating the things of God so nonchalantly. Uh, there are so many ways that we give it. And maybe you would go back and evaluate your life and go, hmm, how do I give the devil a foothold in my life? We can give the de devil a foothold and we have an angry issue with somebody and and we choose we're not going to resolve it directly with them and, and when we need to. So do not give the devil a foothold. There's so much application in this. Bottom line is we're to put on Christ. We're to put on the new self. We're not to act like the old self. We're to act like the new self that God is making us into, that he's making us to be. Well, friends, I'm going to stop there today. I want to encourage you to put on Christ today. I want to encourage you to live for Christ today. I want to encourage you to glorify Christ today. I want to encourage you to trust in Christ today. I want to encourage you to walk in the joy of Christ today. Lord, help that to be a reality in our lives. May Christ be ever more developed in us. May he be ever more evident among us. May he shine more brightly through us that we would give you glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Lord, hear our prayer. Have a good day, everyone. I'll let you go. Have a fantastic day. Perhaps we'll see you sometime over the weekend.